You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. So I'm here with Dr. Eric Castellucci. Dr. Castellucci is one of the senior physicians in my current emergency medicine practice group. It's called Emergency Medical Associates of Tampa Bay, and he has been doing emergency medicine for quite a while. The reason why we're trying to bring him on the show is because I think with his experience, he can offer a few pointers of what it's been like uh, his lengthy uh, medical career and what it's like to be a physician in the United States. Um, Dr. Castellucci is an international medical graduate, meaning that despite the fact that he's a United States citizen born and raised in the United States, he went to school overseas and then came back to the United States to practice medicine. And we're going to talk about him. So, Dr. Castellucci, I hate to uh, sometimes um, present people. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Um, sure. Um, uh, well, I was initially raised in upstate New York, uh, Utica, New York, actually a very small town in Riskney Falls, New York where um, I graduated in 1971 in a graduating class of 24 people. And um, really to, to, to give an idea of the road or the path why I chose medicine is mm -hmm. because my uncle uh, was a family practice doctor in our town. And even though my dad was a professional, my dad was a um, junior college at the time uh, math teacher. And um, I... I had two other brothers that went on to engineering, but I was very interested at the time in high school of medicine. Not so much, I think it just kind of grew within me because when I was um, a young boy, my mom and dad would go to work and we would go down the street and stay at my, it was, his name was Armand Hoke and my mom's brother was Uncle Armie or Uncle Armand. Okay. And we would go down there for breakfast and he would, apparently my mom would call in the morning and say, and I understand I'm four or five years old, not knowing that my uncle's a doctor, and say, Armand, you know, they're German, and German, and she'd say, uh, can you check Eric's ears or Bobby's ears, my brother? And my uncle would come out of the office at 8 o'clock in the morning, run around the table with his otoscope at the time, I didn't know what it was, with a light, look in our ears, and then he'd call my mom later, and I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was just kind of kidding around or playing. I had no idea he was a doctor. Until, like, um, a few months later... I was um, getting our, um, our vaccinations. At that time, we got vaccinations in the gym. Really? In the gymnasium, yes. And the whole school would show up and be vaccination day. I heard that. And I'm not, this is God, as my honor, as truth. We were uh, all lined up, and I was five years old, and we're rolling up our sleeves, and my buddy Harold Potts says to me, he says, hey, what's your uh, uncle doing here? I said, I said, I don't know. I, he's given shots, I guess, or something. And I had no idea. So his daughter at the time, Mary Ann, was actually a nurse. And she was assisting. So when I got up to the line to extend my arm, I said to my cousin, Mary Ann, I go, what's Uncle Army doing? And she goes, well, he's giving shots. And I said, he is? I go, why? And Chick, or Mary Ann, her name was, she goes, well, he's a doctor. And she said, my eyes got huge. Huge. And I was like so impressed that my uncle was the one giving vaccinations. And I think that dream perhaps lived within me for the following years and never really considering going on to medicine at that point in time because I was so young. Never had a pressure from your father or your never. mother to be a physician. This never. Was just a personal inclination. Right. So, never. never. 
from this little dream and this fascination for your uncle and seeing him like being a very reputable physician in your community, you went on to finish high school. And then what happened from there? Well, what happened from there was um, at the time, my grades were not that great. I was a good student, but um, I my father was such a kind of a hard knocks Italian, very staunch Italian disciplinarian that although I had say, B's and B pluses, I wasn't an A student. And um, so I was kind of a, a B, B student, a B plus student, and I couldn't get into one of the, the greater undergraduate pre-med schools. So I went into medical technology at the advice of my guidance counselor. And to this day, Ed Stevenson, I still stay in touch with him. He was probably the premier person. We all have people that touch us in our yes. lives. And to this day, I can say without Ed Stevenson, I wouldn't be where I am today because he suggested I go into medical technology and he suggested I go to a two-year junior college. So I did. And, and when you say that we all have a, a person that makes a difference in our life, right. like a mentor, somebody that right. really punch, punch, puts you on a direction. For me, it was Dr. Kelly O'Keefe. Uh, mm. You know, he sure. really changed my life but here at USF in Tampa General Hospital. For you, it was Ed. So you went to do your med, med technology undergrad for two years? Right. And then from that point, I became involved with a young lady. I thought I was madly in love with her. She jilted me. And then from that point, I went on to a four-year school. But I was now in, from medical lab tech, I was going into medical technology. And at that time, about 19, let's see, 71 is when I graduated high school. And then 73 is when I was in uh, college. Uh -huh. And about that time, the Vietnam War, you're too young to know this, but yes, the sir. Vietnam War was winding down. And they all had all these what's called um, medics coming out of Vietnam, and they didn't know what to do with them. So the at that time, the government was looking into what's called physician extender programs or physician associates, they called them. And if you look at the long line and reasoning of why physician assistant got their name is because initially they were called physician associates. And many physicians said, well, they shouldn't be an associate. They didn't go, what, go through what I went through. So the, the, the jargon of that particular identification for what we now know as mid-levels or physician extenders became physician assistants, even before nurse practitioners came out. So at that time... When I was making the transition from a two-year to a four-year school, I heard about, quote-unquote, the physician associate program. And I found out about it through my uncle, Army, again, who, again, still family practice doctor and my uncle, Armin. And he told my mother he should look into this physician's assistance program. So I went out to live with my brother for a little bit in Ohio. Okay, so Tony. you moved all the way from... I was in upstate New York. I was at Alfred University in downstate New York. I was going to Potsdam University, and I stopped going there after one semester because I decided I don't want to do this being a lab. I want to work with people. So I took a year off, lived with my brother Tony, who's um, my older brother, who's eight years older, but he's a great brother and also you know, key point in my life. And and so I kind of got my head together about what I want to do, and I applied to the Physician's Assistance Program um, at that time in August of 1973, I think it was, yes, or 74. Yeah, because you took a year off. Right. So 74. From New York, so, so we here go to I'm, Ohio. So I'm in Ohio now, and I'm looking at three different programs in New York City. There was the United States Public USPHS program, which was free. There was a, two other programs, one in Brooklyn and DeKalb Avenue. Another one was Bronx um, Jewish Kingsbrook Medical Center. I was accepted at all of them by the grace of God, and I'll tell you about that. But I went to USPHS Hospital because it was tuition-free. The government was paying for it. Now, this is an interesting story. I found out about this probably March or April of 1974. I applied in the early of summer. I got an interview like in September, um, or had to be earlier August, and I started going to their program in September. But when I went to their program, much like this room, and that, it's a matter of fact, it's almost a carbon copy. By the way, we're sitting in the boardroom of right. our company's right. uh, large 
round table with about 20 chairs around Correct. it. So here I am, this little kid, age of 23, <laughs> who um, I went into this uh, large room. Now, these are United States. These are USPHS. They're all, um, uh, they, they're all in uniform, okay? And here I am with my little lunch bag <laughs> that I came over on the ferry boat because I, I, I flew in to stay with my aunt and uncle in Staten Island. I had to take the ferry over to New York. It was a trip. So I'm not calling you old, but this was 40 years ago, though. This is 40 years ago. 40 years ago. I'm 63. 40 years ago. And I remember like... And by the way, guys, he looks fantastic. (laughs) But yeah, 40 years ago, you're right. You're absolutely right. So I go to this boardroom for my interview. And I remember the lady telling me that... I'll never forget her. I can't remember her name. I think her name was Rita. But I was waiting to be interviewed. And they they had like... They were interviewing... She told me three or four hundred candidates for 30, 35 positions. And I remember her talking to me and said, well, you seem very nice. She goes, listen, I have one bit of advice for you. Just be yourself, which I am anyway. I, Rita told you, just be yourself. Rita said, just be yourself before you go in there and you meet everybody. Don't be scared. They're all in uniform, but they're just going to. And there's one particular guy who will try and scare you. His name is Captain Hetherington. That's the one that you he was in charge of the program. So when I walked in, much like this boardroom, as you said, 20 to 25 around this long table, they're all in uniform. And I sit down and they start asking me questions. And one after another, like they see you have a C plus B average, you know, you've gone this, you've been in medical technology. They said, Mr. Castucci, why do you think we should take you into our program? Or what do you think, what, what will you add to our program? And I remember answering something that, it just kind of flowed out. I don't even remember what I said, but I do remember this. One thing, I, the last thing I remember, they said, so Mr. Castellucci, suppose you don't get into a program, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I want to be a physician's assistant so badly, and I know that's my destiny, that if you people don't take me, I'll find a program that will. Wow. And I think to this day, that statement got me into that program. That's inspiring. Uh, yeah, and not only did I do well in the program. I did very well. I was a B plus A student through the whole program. I did excellent in my internship. And it was just... I'm going to tell you through them having goosebumps right now. So <laughs> I, I, I hear you because well, I, yeah, this, I is, this is the feeling that I had. And a similar answer is the one that I had with Dr. Kelly O'Keefe. He asked me, why do you want to be in my program? It's, and I, I told him, it's because I've been fighting so hard to be a board-certified residency training program that I just need someone like you to give me the chance to fulfill my dream. Right, good. Well, that's what happened. And within, um, I think, and that was a stepping stepping stone, of course, to my career in medicine because um, what had happened, um, so... So you became a PA. A month later, I became a PA. I worked as a PA. So... um, Quite frankly, I, so when I got the uh, information that I was accepted as a PA, of course, I was elated because I knew that after working three construction jobs through the summer and my being fired from two of them because I kept telling the I kept telling the foremans what they should do instead of telling them they should tell me what I should do. And uh, anyway, so that was a funny story because my brother got me two of those jobs. But I worked lived with him, and um, ultimately I moved to New York and went to Staten Island, stayed with my aunt and uncle. I want to ask you a quick question. Yeah. There was a lady you said that made your college oh. life go from two years to a four-year. Well, well, there was a lady that I thought I was in love with, you know, and uh, unfortunately, I had played soccer at the junior college, and I had done very well playing soccer there. But she, never thinking that, the, and I, it's believe it or not, I still remember the guy who played left halfback, and I played left wing. His name was Doug Lizer. And he ended up dating my girlfriend. <laughs> that's not good. So, yeah, but she came and told me, and, I, you know, I had to move on. So so that's what led you to move to Ohio? To get well, part somewhere. of it was, yeah, I just didn't feel I could go back to school because I was so stricken about the lost love of my life. And then my dad, who was, uh, my brothers, both of my brothers were shocked that my father was not insisting I go back to college. So two, two things that I can point out that were crucial, a broken heart and right. then a significant phrase that led you to qualify to a highly competitive uh, PA program. Right, right. right. So yeah. you, you were a PA before you were a physician. Yes. So I was a PA. Should I go on? Should I go on? Are we still yes, recording? Yeah. yeah. So um, I was very fortunate. So I went to PA school from 74 to 76. Um, and um, 
uh, of course, 76, you know, I didn't have a job. Now, my uncle still works at this small, um, it's Hamilton, New York. In 76. In okay. 76. So I was looking for jobs. Well, I had no experience. But my uncle said, how would you like to come and work at Hamilton Hospital? I said, but I have no experience. So he somehow convinced all the people on the board at that small little hospital that even though my, my, my nephew has no experience, the guy who was working there as a PA full-time, his name was Ken Benson, and he had risen from the ranks as a corpsman, et cetera, and he was very, very good. So he basically worked with me for two weeks, uh, did double shifts and hung around when I needed him and asked him questions, and basically I learned the ropes that way. So I got the job, wow. even though I had no experience, and I was called rookie, uh, the P rookie PA for a year. I remember this... <laughs> If you can believe this or not, I remember this kid's name too. His name, he was a lab tech. His name was Royal. What was his first name? R-O-Y-A-L Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y. And I would have a patient who I was convinced after reviewing the, I'd have all these books out. I'd have, you know, Khan's clinical, you know, concept, Harrison's, Harrison's uh, all these in the library. It was kind of like here and you go out to the ER and the nurse say, I got a patient with chest pain. I go, oh, wait a second. We got to look at what this. do I need to do? <laughs> what do I need to do? You know, so, but this guy, Royal Duffy, I remember I had a patient. I was convinced. Now I'd been there maybe three, four or five weeks. I don't know. Convinced had an acute appendicitis, right lower quadrant pain, McBurney's point, all the things that go up, positive Rob's things, all these things. And I went up to him and I said, I, he says, so rookie comes out. He's got the white count and stuff in his hand. He goes, so rookie, what do you think's wrong with the guy? I go, he's got to have an appendicitis. He goes, well, his white count's only 5,000. You're wrong again. Just kidding me. He comes back like five minutes later. He goes, here's a white count, 17,000. He probably has a So they kidded me all the time, but it was a great bunch of people I worked with. I really learned from all of them. The x-ray tech who taught me to look at x-rays, the lab tech who, you know, you know, gave me insight about differentials and electrolytes and all this stuff. I mean, things that I, of course, learned, but now that I was confirming on the job. So you know, it was we, great we, we all have those crazy little stories. You know, yeah. I, I have to thank my little senior nurses in my rural hospitals in Iowa that I had to work to get my green card, but you know everybody puts something in right. our life that makes right. us a better person. And and then let me not forget, let me not forget about the nurses as well that I worked with. They were all excellent. They knew where I was coming from. I never felt like they thought I was the favorite because I was the uncle who they knew and they respected him. And you and you were filling in the shoes of Ken uh, Benson. Well, but he was still working there. But he helped me. Okay. He still worked there. He. He just was helping me for the first two or three weeks to work double shifts. So gotcha. our shifts were eight to four, and then he'd work, and then I'd work four to twelve, and he'd still be around four to twelve. And then we were on call every other every other night, midnight to eight. That's wow. what my life was like for four years. Single, single. I was single. Yeah, <laughs> I was single. So you're back in Hamilton, New York. Hamilton, New York, where Colgate University is. You ever heard of Colgate University? No, sir. Yeah. yeah. So where do you meet your wife? Well, that's an, <laughs> well. I didn't get married, and my my well. First of all, I have to tell you now that I worked four years as a PA. Okay. Okay. So in the from small town, seventy six to 80, 80. eighty, about eighty. So, so at that time, there was a couple of nurses that I knew and was dating, and then there was this, and I, I just it's amazing. This has jogged my memory. I couldn't remember this guy. His name was Bob Davenport. He was a physician in the. Uh, upstate midweekly public health physician group. It was a, you know, what they, the Mid York Weekly Physician Family Practice Group. And he, for some reason, always gave me a rough time. Like I'd tell him I got a patient with a pharyngitis. I say, I'm going to put on Keflex. He say, no, use ampicillin. I go, well, what if they have infectious mono <laughs> and they break out in a mono rash? So yes. it was always, you know, and it got to the point where I thought, you know what? And now, now I, I, I want to be the guy. Right, right, exactly, exactly. But after when I got out of PA school, I had no inclination whatsoever to go to medical school at any point. It wasn't until really the third, three and a half or fourth year I was a PA that this particular guy came on board, and I felt like, you know, I could do this. Now I've always had four years of experience, but I have done a lot. I mean, I was coding people. I would get called at three in the morning. And this one lady, I'll never forget her. I got to tell you the story. Her name was. You, you were getting close to thirty, right? By then. Yes, I was twenty-eight. Okay. But I was yeah, I was twenty-eight. I think I I was twenty-three. Let's see, twenty twenty-three, twenty-four, and I started finished PA school. So I was I was twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Absolutely, that's, that's a very good point. 
But at one, I remember this one particular call I got called by this Lindy Buell lady. And I say Lindy Buell because she talked with a Southern Tennessee or Kentucky. And she goes, this is Lindy Buell. And she'd say, I have a chest pain for that's here at three in the morning. So I'd be like four or five miles away. And I'm on back roads, these back country roads. And I'm driving my new 77 Grand Prix new. with crushed velour. <laughs> crushed velour feet. <laughs> driving like 90 miles an hour to get to the hospital because she told me she woke up she goes i have a chest pain she goes oh i've got to go i think he's in v-tac so oh my god i'm not kidding you but she had already shocked the patient would i say rural medicine yeah very rural yeah this guy was having an acute heart attack he's having acute mi and to this day dr rosario i gotta tell you i saw patients that i'm thinking how did they survive? Because yes. you, you just didn't know what you didn't know. And now that I know what I know now, I'm thinking, I saw. But to this day, my parents still see patients that I saw as a PA and said, oh, he was the greatest PA. I'm thinking. They still remember you. Yeah, they still remember me. I'm thinking, how did I not? How did somebody not die? <laughs> Some of the things I did or did not do. I, I, I just scary. think that when scary. Some, what we do for patients, despite the fact that we try right. to do good for them, so right. when you're meant to be gone, you're right. gone, and right. when you're made to make it, you just make it. Right. So you had the experience. So I. So you I, saved this guy's life. What happened to him? Well, I mean, it wasn't just that particular. It, the moment was being called at three in the morning and feeling that sense of urgency that I got to get there. And I, as I got there, the guy was awake and alert and had already been shocked, and the line had been placed by the nurse and. You know, it was. But so it was, you were practicing literally like a physician. Yes, you didn't I, I have had, a medical degree. I had indirect physicians supervisor. We had indirect supervision. There was no doctor around us. You had somebody that was giving that you I could call crap all the time. Yeah. So you said, you know what? I'm just gonna go and do this for myself. Right. Right. So, so you so had a so you from being a B C plus B average student. Right. You went to became a very successful uh, physician. Assistant in and Hamilton, let, New York. Let me add why I think I did so well in that PA program in New York. Because my father had no sense. He wasn't involved in pushing me there. He pushed me to college. He pushed all of our my brothers to college. But I didn't feel the sense that I had to please my father, if that makes sense. This was on my own. Why? Um, because my father was always... Were you if, this, the youngest? I was the youngest. But my older brothers got more problems or hell from my father than I did. Because if, if, if your buddy got an 85 or an 89 on the test, or you got an 89, what did your buddy get? We got a 92. Why didn't you get a 92? It was always that. It was always a pressure of having to excel and be perfect. And it was a lot of pressure for me. But when I went to PA school, that was on my own. My father didn't even care that I was doing what I was doing. It was probably because of a field that he didn't know about. He was not in No, I, I just think that because I chose this route, route of of where to go and what I want to do on my own, he was just he was still happy for me, but I didn't feel the pressure for him, probably because I wasn't living at home or living nearby. You know, even though I was at college in a way. I think it was just a sense that this was a path I knew that I was going to be on and I knew that this was the right path for me. I it, just inherently it was I was passionate about it. And I think if I can portray or give advice to anybody about whatever they do, have passion for it. Just like I, I'm sure I you feel the same way. Yeah. Passion. passion is utmost important. I mean, you can't, I didn't go into medicine to make money. Yeah, I went to many, I went to, when I went to medical school, and we'll talk about that, who kids were there because their, their parents said you should go there because you'll make a lot of money as, as a doctor. That's a compelling statement. Uh, if you go into medicine thinking that you're going to make money in you don't make what you were expecting. I think you will be a bitter person oh, you all will be. the time. We will be. Money, money will come only if you do things the right way. And right. money is a second thing. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Money money to me or, I mean, not that, I mean, there, let's face it, you and I both know there are many businesses you could go into you doing, but, but you have to have the passion to do that. Yes, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not passionate about business. I'm so passionate about what I still do. You never saw yourself doing anything else but medicine? Nothing, ever. So, what, 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 so we, we kind of have the, the understanding yeah. of what led you to turn the corner. Right. So, so what happened then? So this particular physician kept harassing me, and I think he harassed me because his wife... What was his name? Liked me. Bob Davenport. Okay. I think his, his wife was a nurse in the ER, and I think he was jealous... And she liked me, 
you know, we would kid around and et cetera. And I think he harassed me because of it. And because of that, he harassed me so much that I thought, you know, I can do this on my own. So not until I was about 29 or 30 did I decide, I, want, I think I might go to medical school. Now, my grades were good. And when I did, I took my grades from undergrad, combined them with PA, and I got what's called a State University of New York uh, Bachelor of Science degree. I had like a, over a B plus, a B plus average, three, 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 four average. But my MCAT scores that I had ultimately taken, now this is a, I decided that I wanted to go to medical school. At the same time, my uncle Armand, when I told him I was thinking about going to medical school, and then I had looked into, I think I applied, let's see, it was 10 medical schools in the country. I applied even to Puerto Rico. <laughs> I applied to Jamaica in New York City. That was a black college as a, as a minority or Italian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I applied to like, because I remember it was $50 tough, a shot. Tough times in the 70s and 80s. Right. I remember it was, a, it was $50 for a medical application. I remember there was 10, so I paid 500 That's a lot bucks. of money. It's 500 bucks. Yeah. So, but through the four years that I'd been working, I had saved about $15,000, which was pretty good at that time and at my age of 28, 29. So... I told my Uncle Army that I said, it doesn't look like I'm going to get into medical school in the state, so I'm going to look at another school, other schools. What, I, what do you think it happened? What was the resistance of the med schools for an experience? Uh, I'm going to put it this way. Yeah. An American white citizen with a lot of experience right. that had been successful, coming highly recommended by his uncle, the family physician of right. the local town. You know, why, why do you think some people find that resistance? I don't think that's the reason for me not getting. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. The resistance for that. I'm, think, I'm just trying you think to bring be, out this, yeah, this you point think, because sometimes we, as foreign international medical grads, we we face that. What's right. happening? What well, do you I would need think, to do? What, you would think with what else is missing? And in fact, what I did because I lived in Hamilton, New York, I went to Upstate Medical Center and I had the I had an interview, this is another interesting story, with Assistant Dean Walk, W O O K, I'll never forget his name, who I laid out my grades to him, everything, because I had made an appointment with him, and he said, Yeah, I'll come up, come up and I'll talk with you. So he's nice enough to take the time and he and he looked at my grades and said, Well your grades are good. He says, But you scored average on the medical college aptitude test. He said, despite your experience, despite your PA, he said, it's all wonderful. He says but we're not going to take you unless you've got a 3.8, 3.9 average. He said, and you do better on your medical college aptitude. He says, he, says, he goes like this to my papers. He goes, I'll never forget it. Across so, the desk. So we're in the desk. Takes, and, and, and I'm at the interview. I'm, I'm talking to Assistant Dean Walk, who's a, a dean of medical, uh, uh, Upstate Medical University Medical School. He takes my papers and he shuffles them across me. He says, Eric, you're a great guy. You're probably an excellent PA. He says, but... Go back to school for two years, get a 3.9 and come back and we'll look at you. So to put the visual, he's just literally sliding the paper across the right. desk and right. telling him, like, get out of my office, exactly. do it again. Yeah. He said, good luck. He said, you know, good luck, he said. And at that time, I had already told him that I was looking in a St. Not St. George's, I didn't know about St. George's, but Guadalajara Medical School. It's an excellent one, by the way. Right. I know. I was going to go there. I, I'm having goosebumps because so, so, some of my friends that have not made it into America, they're going... Let me no, Look. let me tell you. So at that time, now it's a year before I'm... Well, maybe a year before I'm even applying to schools, but I'm looking at schools. Now I know I got to get my... I, I need actually a few more hours. I, need, I was 13 hours minus the PA program and everything else. So I forgot that part. So I'm now taking organic chemistry... I'm taking endocrinology and a couple courses at Utica College to fulfill the remainder 10 or 13 hours left to fulfill my BS degree, to, to apply to other medical schools, even though it's a foreign medical school. You're 13 I, hours short from Bachelor yeah, of Science. Yeah. Okay. So I got those courses on board. And the funny thing is, I would be at work, working as a PA, and the nurse would say, I got a patient with, you know, abdominal pain. I go... I got to finish this organic problem. I'll be right out. And so I'd say, do this, this, and this. So now I'm seasoned enough that I can say... Put an IV, draw some labs, get abdominal x-ray or whatever. I don't even think we had CTs then. I don't know how the hell I diagnosed half the stuff I diagnosed. Colombian way? <laughs> clinical medicine? Right, clinical medicine. And the long and short was, so I finished that. And then at the same time, I'm looking at foreign medical schools that I told my Uncle Army, Armand Hoke, Dr. Hoke, who since died actually when I was in medical school in 1984. He was the greatest guy. He was the type of man 
would walk into a room and you know he was a doctor just by his presence. His presence, yes, thank you. It was just remarkable. Such a wonderful guy. He had a little aura around yes, him. Yes, yeah. So, so, so anyway, so what happened with Guadalajara? So wait, I'm very so, inclined well, to wait a second. So I applied to Guadalajara and as I was doing that, I told my uncle and he goes, well, you know, I have a friend of mine and his son, now his son went to Hamilton College and didn't get into medical school in the States. And he said, guess where he is? I go, I don't know. He goes, well, he's at a foreign medical school, some, some island in the West Indies. And so I looked it up and I came and he said, yeah, St. George's University. He said, why don't you call the son? He's home for the summer and ask him about the program. So I did. Now that was in their first class was 1977-78 was a charter class. Now I was entering in 1980. They already taken four or five classes. So now take you fast forward, almost fast forward to September of 1980. I applied to St. George's University. I had gone to Guadalajara, but since my Spanish was, not the was minimal, and I was actually taking Spanish courses, by the way, from a friend of mine, phys physician, his wife, who actually taught Spanish at Colgate University. She was giving me Spanish classes after I'd worked as a PA. So I was trying to learn Spanish, assuming that I was going to go to Guadalajara. I'd already gone there, gave my inscription fee of $1,000. Oh, my God. Had all my, my, my courses from kindergarten to 12th grade translated into Spanish. Because where they wanted that. Yes. I went to the consulate in New York City twice because the first time I went. The Mexican got, visa. The Mex yeah, they got. Well, no, I had to have my. I, I went to the New York consulate in New York City for some reason because I had to have um, some type of affidavit or something signed by them for all my courses from kindergarten through 12. Yep. I had to make that trip twice because the first time I went there, the guy said he, the lady said he was gone for the day. So I, it, was, it was just amazing. So long story short. He tells me about this guy. I call him up. He tells me about St. George's University. I said, well, I think I'll apply there. So that might have been in June or July. I'm, you know, August. I applied. Bottom line, in September 1980, I get a response from St. George's. I already already been accepted to Guadalajara. After spending a thousand right. plus dollars, right. whatever. And God knows how many. I flew down. He had to fly down there and go for an interview and give him a thousand dollar check. Called an inscription fee. And um, I talked to St. George's, and they put me on the wait list for January of 81. And I said, well, I don't, I don't want to come in January Six of Six months later. I said, I want to come in September. I'm ready to go. I've already given my notice for my job. I'm ready to go yeah. to medical school now in September 1980. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to move on with the next part of my life. So perseverance. Perseverance. So exactly. So I called the assistant dean. I don't know how many times I can just tell you, he said to me, you've called me so many times that I would get him on the phone and the secretary kept saying, no, he's not available, not available. And finally he took the phone and he said, you know what, Mr. Castellucci, he said, I am going to take you in the September 1980 class. You are going to be 200 and you're going to be the number, the, the 281 because we have or 241. We have like 240. It's one of the largest classes, classes. we've ever accepted. Yes. That's a large class. Yes. So I went in September. Of you know, um, despite the fact that you made it, I would have loved the fact that you could have have gone to Guadalajara. Well, I, well, the only reason I didn't do it is because of my my Spanish. I even went to. You, you would have picked it up rather easy. Right, but listen, I'm I probably fun in love and changed <laughs> how or where you're at. Well, listen, right I ended up even going to the Dominican Republic. I went to San Pedro de Macari, and I went to their medical school that looked like. And ancient Roman ruins where they're having classes like in these pits with walls that were broken down around. I can't imagine. I was going to go there to it's, medical it's school. Okay, whatever it takes. <laughs> right, whatever it takes. So, Desire, the story does passion. not end here. September 1980, I go there, and now I get there. There is everybody. We stayed on this campus called True Blue Campus. It's still called True Blue, but it's completely modernized now. You've been back since then, huh? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, once or twice I've been back. But I've seen pictures as well. But I haven't been back in like 20, 30, 20 years. I really want to go back. So True Blue Campus. Now, we're talking army barracks. We're talking somebody sneezes or other things in the room next to you. and You can hear it. That's how thin the walls were. And imagine 230 people on the same campus doing the same thing day in, day out for the first semester. Meningitis galore. Well, meningitis galore, but that didn't happen. So what happened was... We had our first six-week exams. I did mediocre. I was depressed. I got so depressed that I thought I was going to harm myself. I'm telling wow. you the story. Yeah. 
So what happened was, you talk about instrumental people in your life. Dr. V.J. Rao, R-A-O, Indian, Indian gentleman. He taught anatomy, but he was our, my counselor. And the day before, after, I think it was six or seven weeks into this. Now, here I had fought my butt off to get into school. Now, after six or seven weeks, I was so depressed about, and he said, he looked, he said, well, you didn't do that bad. You got a C here. You got a C in this test. You got a B minus in this test. He goes, he goes, just hanging out. I said, I can't. I'm so, I'm so, I think it was the pressure of everybody around you. The pressure of going to the same dining hall, the pressure of hearing everybody talk about the same thing. All it was day, overwhelming, overwhelming, seven. overwhelming. And, and, and the circumstances are so different. I mean, I haven't been in the West Indies, but definitely not like Ohio or upstate right. New York. Or Right. Well, you're in a third world country. You're living. I was living with two other guys. Um, not that I wasn't used to that. It was just the pressure, the overall sense. It was like, um, and when people say they're depressed or they tell you're depressed, I can have a sense of empathy because... I think I was in that state where I was so depressed that no matter what, I needed to get off that island to the point where I thought I had to injure myself to get off. I wanted an excuse. So you're fulfilling your dream. You got into med school and as bad as you wanted, and now you're sad right. and extremely depressed. Right. So and I you felt like quitting? Yes. So listen, so I went to this Dr. Rao the day before, and I told him that I was leaving. I already had my return plane ticket. And he told wow. me, he said... He said, listen, I understand this, but he said, if you do leave, take a leave of absence, because what if you decide you're going to come back? He said, and he looked at me and says, I think you're going to want to come back. So I left the next day. I waited until four in the morning when everybody was asleep. This I had is a, six weeks after September class, so yes. we're not even into December, it's probably It was like October. You think the holidays had to do anything? No, 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 no. It was the overwhelming stress of all everybody else trying to... It was a competition. It was, you know, everybody was... It, it, they it, wanted a dream. Everybody, yeah, for but it, it was just the pressure of having to study the same thing everybody else was studying. The pressure of like, oh my God, do I know what he knows, or do I know what she knows, or do I, you know what I'm saying? You'd hear at the dinner table, you're because we're all staying at True Blue Campus. We're all going into the same dining hall. I mean, picture they had they had hour one and hour two because there's so many of us. They had to feed you know half of us one hour and half of us the next hour. It was just overwhelming for me. So, and I haven't told I I don't I'm I'm. Story doesn't bother me now, but I haven't told everybody this story. So I take a leave of absence. At that time, I was dating this girl who I met at Colgate University, who I thought a medical student. No, she was um, she she was a an account executive for AT and T in wow. New York, Harrison, New York. So I figured if I went back to her, my life would be fine. Well, guess what? I went back to her, and my life wasn't fine. I was now I felt well. Why could I? not handle this and everybody else could. So I was home for, I was with her in New York for two days after I flew home. I took a bus back to my parents in upstate New York and my father almost, I won't say he, he, um, what's the word I want, denied me or just refused to talk to me, but he was so, his oh. idea was, why couldn't you hack it? Everybody else did. And now what are you going to do with your life? Well, then... Then you felt what it was like probably for your brothers. Right. So now my mother said, because just my mom and dad at home, my mother said, you need to go probably stay. Why don't you go stay with your brother, Bob, and his wife, Gail, in Virginia. My brother was a civil engineer working for a civil service job for the Navy. So he was in Woodbridge, Virginia. So next thing I know, a couple of weeks later, I'm in my car driving to see my brother in Virginia. Stayed with him. Now we're talking October, November, December, right? Mm -hmm. I was still was a PA. I had kept up my PA certification. And my brother said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I think I'm going to, you know, maybe look at PA jobs. So I got a PA offer in Detroit, Michigan. They were going to offer me at that time. What was this? This is 1980. So I think 50, 60, 70,000 a year salary. Plus they were going to play for my master's degree. Wow. And I was going to work in a, as a, um, uh, industrial Urgent care, industrial urgent care as a PA. You know, cuts, lacerations, bumps, bruises. Oh, show. Yeah. So I came back from that interview after they flew me out there. They took good care of me. I came back. Now, this is like in November. And before that, 
Oh, so I came back and my brother goes, we're at the dinner table. I'll never forget this. It's like I'm sitting there now. And he said, so what are you going to do? I said, I'm going back to medical school. <laughs> you think that the beautiful yes, of the I West needed... Indies compared to the Detroit, Michigan, or you just No, I'll tell you a... what happened. By the by, before I went out to that interview in Detroit, Michigan, I went to see my brother was trying to like help me through this period of time that here I tried to get into medical school, got into medical school. Now I was really disappointed in myself that no longer was I there because I left on my own. Um, own. But where was I? So, so I made the decision to come back and my brother said, you've got to talk. He said, Eric, I can talk to you. He said, I'm your brother. I love you, but you need someone objective to understand why you were depressed and now why you want to go back to medical school or what you can. And I was really pretty depressed. I mean, I was just hanging out at their house. I would babysit their kids so they go out. So he said, you need, he would go to work every day and come back and I'd still be like really depressed. He said, you need to talk to somebody objective. He said, he says, there's a whole bunch of people here in, um, in, in Virginia, um, Woodbridge. He says, why don't you just call them, call some psychiatrists. Said, what was the background of your brother, profession-wise? Uh, he's a civil engineer. Okay. My brother Bob's a civil engineer. My brother Tony's an uh, electrical engineer. So he wanted to, you to talk to somebody objective, he wanted, like a doctor? Yeah, no, no. He wanted me to talk to a psychiatrist. Oh, say, gotcha. Look. So, so I did. I got on the phone, and I remember calling a psychiatrist. Uh, I forget I forget that nice little area around Woodbridge, Virginia. You remember it, but anyway, I got on the phone and I didn't have much money, and so he said, "Just find out, tell him what you're doing." He said, "Maybe." So they charged sixty, seventy bucks an hour, and the guy said he'd see me for thirty bucks an hour. So Damn I went man. in to tell him. So I went in there and basically told him everything I've told you up to this point of getting into medical school, and tell him now I feel like a now I feel like a piece of crap. He said, he said. And he listened to me for literally 45, 46 minutes. And then the last five minutes, he said, so what you have to do, Eric, he said, you have to decide if you're still worthy. He said, not worthy to anyone else, but worthy to yourself. Are you still worthy? Yeah. He said, you have to make your decisions based on, did you leave medical school because you think you can't do it? And he said, and if you never go back to medical school, are you always going to be asking yourself, could I have done it? Because you really didn't give yourself the full chance. You left because you were depressed because you didn't think you're going to do, you're going to cut it, right? I said, yes. So he said, come back. If you want to talk to me, I'll be happy to see you again in the next two weeks. Two weeks back, I went two weeks back, two weeks. In the meantime, I had an interview in Detroit. I went back two weeks later. I was like gone from here down to the floor to now I was flying in the sky. So your self-esteem was I, My self-esteem was back. I felt more reassured. Here I was still a good PA. They wanted to pay me 70000 a year and bingo, bango, all this stuff. And then my brother says, what are you going to do? And I says, I'm going back to medical school. So you went back to So I went days. back to medical school January. So now everybody that was with me is now a semester ahead of me, but I didn't care. The only, the only um, um, definite thing that I wanted to do, and I spoke to Dr. Rao about this when I come VJ back. VJ Rao. VJ, I, I do not want to live on True Blue. He said, all right, I'll arrange it. I got my own apartment by myself, studied on my own, studied with another guy if I wanted to. Um, I got B's and everything except C in uh, biochemistry, and I was on my way past that kind first of, semester. That kind of environment is not for everybody. Right. It was just too much stress for me. And the guys and the that I saw who were in that semester were like, wow, we're glad to have you back. Yeah, we're only assessed. But it was one semester, big deal, like four months. How, how long is medical school in St. George's? Two years there. You do two years of didactic there, and then you either come back and go to England or New York. I went to England for a year. Really? Or, yeah, I went to England. Well, you didn't pick New York because you knew New York too well. I guess I just thought it would be a better um, a learning experience, physical diagnosis, clinical experience, and it was the best thing yeah. in my life. They, they, I mean, they plus I added on to my PA physical diagnosis. So it was really, it was incredible. You came back as a more proper doctor. I feel like I, I mean, <laughs> with the accent, I taught I mean. physical diagnosis when I was in um, when we got to the second year of medical school because the first year there was all embryology, genetics, biochemistry. But the second year was pathology. You know, so we're we're studying about stuff that I already know about. You know, seminomas, testicular tumors, um, kidney disease, kidney nephromas, hypernephromas, all that stuff. You know, um, and then physical diagnosis one and two. I was a TA for P for so I was actually the go-to guy. Teacher assistant. I was a, yeah, and they would they would come to me, and I was actually 
we had a note service. So the note service, we I had people under me that would take notes, and then I would review the physical diagnosis stuff. I was teaching people who helped me with biochemistry how to use a stethoscope, how to use an otoscope, how to use a fundoscopic. Uh, you know, so because was, of your PA experience. Yeah, because of my PA experience. So, so um, let's see. So you finish uh, your so, year in the UK. You came back where? To the United States. So what happened was, I had yeah. There's stuff in between all that, but anyway, I did. You never fell in love in between. I purposely did not get involved with a woman. There were uh, women along the way, but I my goal was to finish medical school and residency before I got involved with anybody. I wow. just did not let it happen. So I went to England. I dated women. Where in, where in England? Uh, Pool Dorset, Pool, southern part near the English Channel. And I roomed with a guy from uh, New Zealand and a guy from England who was, this guy from England who was, uh, he was in surgery. He was so cocky. He would tell the attendings how to be doing a procedure, but he was just a hoot. But I learned a lot from him and the other guy who was from New Zealand, he was doing anesthesia. But long story short, so I was there until 83 and then I came back and we had to find do our own kind of clinical rotations in the states so I was at Georgetown University doing I did ER there I did a pediatric hemoc at Georgetown University as well I did um, uh, pediatrics you know we had to do certain clinical rotations I did pediatric at the University of Maryland now University of Maryland this is probably where you're gonna like also go oh my god you're kidding me so at University of Maryland um, bottom line, I did like six or eight weeks of a fourth year, like an externship. Yes. So now I'm almost ready to graduate, but I've got to finish this. Well, I got sick during this to the point of, I had basically RSV. I was going, I was on my last day of attending rounds and I would still stay there. I would leave, I'd, I'd present a case. It was five East. It was kids ages zero to two years old. So I was sick, sick as hell. And I had a bad cold. I had diarrhea. I was vomiting. Despite that, I stayed up all night, finished all my discharge summaries somehow, and even went on round. And this, I never, I can't remember her name, black attending, very nice, was so impressed. She goes, because the chief resident said he's been sick all night, but he still did all his discharge summaries. And I presented them in such a form or manner that she was very impressed. But I would have to excuse myself after pre presenting it and go back to the bathroom and then come back out. and present in another case. So the bottom line is the chief resident came to me a week later and said, Eric, um, have you been applying on the match? Yeah. She goes. So now we're into the matching process. We're in the matching process. And she said, we are prepared to take you out of the match if you want to come to the University You're of Maryland and Pediatrics. Me. I'm not. In Maryland. In Maryland. So here I have gone from Grenada to now, and other people before me had been there doing a pediatric program, like two or three years. So they knew our background. Wow. So they took me out of the match, which they're not supposed to do. But I said, and I literally, I walked out of the, he was in charge of, he was a hematology oncologist, and he formally asked me to come in his office like a week after the chief resident told me, because the chief said he wants to talk to you next you know, a couple of days. I remember walking out of his office and thinking, thank you, God. And I literally went down on your knee, got down on the floor and kissed the floor because I felt like I had finally reached the goal. However, <laughs> my goal was not to be a pediatrician <laughs> and my goal was not, I want to do emergency medicine. So it's okay. Quick, quick advance. I'll tell you, I did three years, but after, every year I was there, and I had a great, Dr. Caraccio was my chief, was the uh, residency director. Every year there, I would get on the phone and call different programs and say, yeah, this is Dr. Castucci. Um, yeah. And they asked, invariably, where'd you go to medical school? Well, I went to St. George's University. They go, where's that? Grenada, click. You're that, kidding me. And I cannot tell you the number of times I got hung up on the number of clicks. That, so finally, the wrong person hung up on me. And it was Medical College of, of uh, Pennsylvania, MCP, that had an ER program. And her colleague that she went to medical school, Carol Caraccio's, was this, and I, I'm blanking on his name, but he still is pretty foremost in the pediatric literature. Um, if I heard his name, I know it. But anyway, she was a secretary to him in the in the medical in the pedi in the ER program at MCP. 
And I told Kara, so I was just one day I was walking out and I was just like every other day, you know, I was now a third year pediatric resident. And if you could never third year, third year resident, pediatric resident. So 1985 to 1988. Three out of three. Yeah. So I, I didn't get into any ER program yet. So I'm now a third year pediatric residency program. I'm still trying to get into ER programs thinking I can at least get in after two years or almost not finishing my third year. And I'm walking out of her office. She goes, did you call anybody? And I go, yeah, I called this girl at Medical College of Pennsylvania. I started and I go, but she said no. She kind of hung up on me. She goes, what? I go, and I turn around. I go, yeah, you know, I'm, she goes, my colleague runs that program. Who hung up on you? And I told her. She called him back. And I got a interview there. Although I don't think I, I don't know why I didn't end up going there, but I ended up interviewing. So now everybody is graduating from their pediatric program and going on to jobs for forty, fifty thousand a year. I was terrible. Forty, you know, fifty thousand, and you were being offered seventy thousand. No, no, that was that was a PA. I'm jumping yeah. out. Not yeah, I know. But they were, you know, as a general pediatrician, they're you know, join our group and we'll pay you fifty thousand or something. I don't know. Yeah, wow. it was terrible. And I was, thank God I wasn't on that path because I was the only one in my whole pediatric residency group of like 25 or 26 that was going on. So my last day, I'm doing critical care. I'm in, I'm a senior resident in critical care and pediatrics, critical care. It's my last day. I sign out. Carol sees me in the hallway at seven in the morning. I'm exhausted because I've been up all night. She goes, she goes, are you going home? I go, yeah. She goes, you're going to find out where you matched, right? Because now I'd gone through the match to get into an ER program. Now, back up a little bit. We had to do almost six to seven weeks or six to seven months of neonatal intensive care unit in pediatrics yes. at the University of Maryland. So I was doing a lot of NICU. This is now in the March of, let's see, 88. And one of my other colleagues, I don't remember his name, he was a critical care slash peds fellow. And, he, and I was now applying to emergency medicine pediatric programs only and I had interviewed at seven or eight places, but I didn't get the impression that I was... There was only like 10 in the country. Back then. I went to Chicago where I met this, this doctor and he said... And I was doing some... Bottom line, I wasn't doing much research. You know, I was doing something oh, that wasn't... So he asked me about my... Re, bottom line, I didn't think... So I'm telling this fellow at three in the morning, we're going around to all these preemies doing like radial sticks to get their blood to do blood gases. And he says to me, not kidding you. Another light went off. Three in the morning, he says, Eric, he said, you're applying to PEDS programs, right? EM programs. He goes, there's only like eight or nine in the country. I go, yeah. He goes, what are you going to do if you don't get in? I said, never thought of that. He goes, Another challenge. He said, why don't you apply to emergency medicine adult programs? I'm like this that morning. I go, holy crap. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because that's what I want to do. I didn't really want to do pediatric ER, but I figured I would gradually stem off from that. So... How how come, since you've been now a pediatrician, three full years into it... Well, not a you, pediatrician. I'm just a resident. Well, I you were a pe- third-year resident. I was right? third-year resident, yeah. You finished, right? Right. Right, yeah, I finished the program. I graduated from the program. But I did not want to become a... Pe- I only did that as a stepping stone because I figured University of Maryland... Figured, who the hell is going to deny me? I went to University of Maryland and their PEDS program. Surely, I, you know, that was where shock trauma was. Surely I could get into a program first, second, or third year as a pediatric resident. Didn't happen. It's, so, it's like me and doing family medicine as my stepping stone to become an emergency So medicine. what happened was I applied to three programs or four programs. I got interviews at three. USC of the West, USC of North Carolina or where is University of South Carolina or USC and USC out in California and Maricopa Medical Center, which was their first program. I was a charter class. In Arizona. In Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. And That's guess, a great program. And guess where I matched? Maricopa Medical Center, <laughs> Phoenix. The first damn program. They took six guys and I was one of them. It's one of the most prominent emergency I know programs in the country I know as it. we speak. I know. You know, Charlie, Stan, Charlie Sands came as an intern from Medicine and interviewed with us. Dr. Sands is uh, the, our current, uh, one of our ma- assistant director in the main campus. And we didn't take him because we all thought he was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he still is, I think. He still is. So anyway, I was again... Another stepping stone, I got into, I got home that day. Now, this is an, uh, another great story, and we're almost done. 
I got home that morning after being no, exhausted. No, no, I'm, I'm very excited. Though. After all night, I'm at home. I go to my my little mailbox at the apartment I lived in in Glen Burnie, Glen Burnie, Maryland. I go to my mailbox, 9 o'clock. I stayed up. I fell asleep on the couch trying to wait for the mail. Mail gets there. Guess what? No letter. No matching letter. I'm devastated. I call Carol. I go. She goes, what? Where'd you match? I go, because she knew my passion to go on to emergency medicine. She knew I didn't want to do general pediatrics. She just knew. Because I've been there for three years and doing everything I've been doing. Every time, by the way, every time people were looking for me, I had taken my second or third year wherever I had an elective. Guess where I was? Oh, Castle Cheese in the ER. Oh, he's in the ER. He's in the ER. I love being in the ER, even though it's pediatrics. Loved it. I would switch my shifts out. You want to take my two East, five East shift? Take it. Emergency medicine is one of the newest specialty. Was already fairly established? It was pretty established then. But the reason I don't think I got... Well, established, yes, but still very difficult to get into. And I think that's one of the reasons being foreign medical graduate or national graduate, I couldn't get into the... Because I applied to ER programs. Still highly high. still highly competitive. Still very, yeah, very, still very highly competitive. Very competitive. But I applied to ER programs, and I didn't get a bite to one of them. That's why when University of Maryland said... Would you come here? I said, hell yes. With that diploma, you could go anywhere. Right, with, right. That's with, what I thought. With yeah. the background. Right. So so I get home that morning, no letter. I called Dr. Caraccio, Carol Caraccio. I'll never forget her name. And I said, Carol, I didn't get a letter. She goes, oh, my word. She goes, well, don't, don't. That's okay. You know, sometimes the letters don't go out right away. She goes, I'll tell you what. I have a number. I think it's in Illinois or wherever you call. I have this number. Call this number and see if you can talk to ladies. Sometimes they will tell you over the phone. Sometimes this they is won't. the National Residency Matching Program. Right, right, right. This is that. No, it's like it's March of. Um, yeah, it's eighty three, eighty. No, 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 um, no, eighty eight. Because I was finishing. Okay. Yeah, it might have been earlier on because I remember finishing. Yeah, it was no, it was March in eighty eight because I had to find out I'm matching as so I'm in my third year. Um, I was finishing up, you know, my elective. So I've been done like in May or June. I think we finished in May or June. And, um, so I had like maybe two months left in my program, but I wanted to find out if I can match. So I called this lady and I remember sitting on my couch and I'm exhausted. And I remember calling this number and this lady answered the phone. I said, I said, hi, I said, um, uh, my name is Eric Castellucci. I said, I didn't get a letter regarding matching. I'm trying to figure out if I... If I match somewhere, because, you know, it's possible I could not have matched anywhere. So she goes, well, she goes, we don't usually do this over the phone. Didn't you get a letter? And I said, no, I haven't received a letter. She goes, well, she goes, you may not have matched, but you know oh what? I'm not, God. she goes, I'm not that busy, but I can look it up for you. She goes, tell me your full name. I go, Eric. She goes, what's your middle? Dean Castellucci, spelled out Castellucci. She goes, let me have your match number. Gave her my match number, what I used. She goes, let me have your social security number. So I'm, I'm, already, I'm, I'm sweating <laughs> profusely. I'm, I'm like, shaking. dear God, yeah. I go, she goes, um, and then she, uh, maybe I gave her my social security number. She goes, is your match number that, 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 that? I go, yes, yes. She goes, well, Dr. Castellucci, you matched in Phoenix, Arizona. And I went, oh my God. <laughs> you dropped the phone. I did. I, I did. And she was so, she was so happy for me. She was you know, I was jumping up and down. I'm by myself in my own apartment. You know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, whatever. Yes. And um, this is probably one of the happiest moments. It was. It was. You think I just got into medical school. I mean, it was just so, it was incredible. Because I knew that's where my next any, destiny lay. Any sadness, any depression, everything went away. Never had another issue with it. Never had another <sighs> issue. Just so. so I called Dr. Caraccio. I said, I matched in Phoenix, Arizona. And she goes, my God. She goes, that's a charter class. You're one of those. What did your father say when you told him all this? You know. After he was so hard the, on you. Yeah. When you went back. I th well, he apologized to me after he I'd did. gone back to medical school. Yeah. He, he, I think, you know, as an Italian father, you take a lot of this on yourself and you think, my son's a failure, then I'm a failure, that kind of thing. So I think he Very felt. Very Latino-like. Yeah. Yeah. I think he felt that. So. But, uh, yeah, and then the next three years is history. And then there were some, other, not issues along the way, but, you know, how we were the new guys on the block and surgical residency, we had to 
compete with them. Yes. And I remember one time... We still into, do. We still do. Yeah. And one time, well, what they had to set up, they had to set up that one day we were trauma captains, one day they were procedures. So it was one particular day, I was taking care of a chest pain, and I was a trauma captain. I was second year. And I walked into the trauma room. Trauma wasn't even there yet. This is Phoenix, Arizona, so we had a lot of good traumas. So I walked into the trauma room, and the fourth-year surgical resident, can't remember his name, but I could picture him. If you had him in a lineup, I knew what he, nice-looking kid, dark hair, typical surgical resident, you know, shit yeah, didn't stink. Nice-looking guy, had all the hot chicks probably. And I walked in, and he's got the trauma cap on, because it says trauma cap, and it's a red hat. You can't miss it. And I walked in, and I said, and with, trauma's not even there yet. Everybody else getting ready. Surgery's supposed to be doing the procedures. And I walk in, I said, hey, trauma's not even here yet. Give me the hat. And he goes, no, I'm not giving you a hat. He goes, you're late. I said, I'm not late. Trauma, trauma's not even here yet. Now, the attendees are starting to filter in. So this guy's, now he's, what the, the, the idea is, the trauma cap is supposed to obviously stand back. So he's up against the wall, right? And he's got the hat on. I said, give me the hat. I go to take it. Anyone, let me give the hat. Now I'm like, I'm like, you know, so he's up against the wall. So I, I got Dr. Osirian. So he's, he's grabbing me by the shoulder. So shoulders. I grabbed this guy like this. And I said, you're going to give me that hat. And I pulled it off. And he didn't do anything. And you're not a tiny guy. But. <laughs> I pulled the hat off, put it on. And uh, that was it. But but the even though, and Ken Jakimczyk, who was our program director, you know, he gave me a bunch of shit. He, about he, that interaction. He kind of yelled at me about the interaction. We got done with the trauma, and I handled the trauma very well. He pulled me aside. He says, way to go, Luchi. Because <laughs> they wanted us to to say, we're not taking shit from the surgical residents. Yeah. But they wanted us to Just to fill in our audience, uh, emergency medicine through the growing years has always had to fight that terrain of uh, right. surgery because establishing, of, establishing ourselves at some point in time we've been under the department of surgery as an associate right. department to right. them because they felt that emergency medicine was part of what they did and right. since then we've been kind of splitting up and creating right. our own departments Absolutely throughout right. the united states and we were somewhat unique because i was one of the first six emergency medicine classes they never had to deal with emergency medicine residents i was a charter class I was for the Maricopa first, Medical Center. I was the first class of emergency medicine residency. Yeah. So here we are. And that's another first. Uh, almost 20 years later, mm-hmm. as a successful physician, he's one of my senior partners. He's been with Emergency Medical Associates of Tampa Bay now for how many years, Doctor? 23. Impressive. My uh, second job only. I was at Brandon for 18 months. I joined the group a year and a half ago, and uh, he's currently one of the most engaged physicians, very outspoken, very happy uh, type of person. And definitely you can see the the Italian on him. So (laughs) Dr. Casalucci, to wrap this up, I can tell that you have a few lessons of your personal life that definitely could be worth to mention right now. Which ones would those be? If you can summarize them, two or three of them. Right, I, I think... Um, one to of, succeed. Yeah, to succeed. I understand what you're saying. I think one of them is to follow your dreams and your heart. Um, I don't think any of us... And I'm going to quote something my daughter said to me not too long ago that, that surprised me. And my wife said, why were you surprised? But I think if you have passion in your life and you have passion to do what you want to do, then you will be successful. I think if you... If you try and portray or not be yourself and do things that you don't think are really inherent within you, then you will not be not only a successful person, but you won't be happy. I think passion is utmost important. I think if you try and have someone force you or you force someone to do something they don't want to do, they're not going to be successful. Now, some people, on the other hand, have probably been engaged or forced by their parents to do business and they become successful because they found that niche, but only because they found that niche within themselves. I want a long, circuitous route to get to where I've gotten to today. I mean, I even tell some of my partners that I, some of my partners don't even know I went to foreign medical school. They don't know I did a pediatric residency. Um, they don't know the long route that I took. But you know what? Um, I look at my experience as part of my life. And that's what life is. Life is made up of different experiences. Just because someone goes to four years of pre-med, four years of medical school, and then three years of residency doesn't make them any more or less a physician or a passionate doctor as someone who took the longer route. 
And I think if I could just leave with one thing, I think passion is most important. And I'll end by saying this. I asked my daughter, who wants to become a missionary. She's now in her first year of college at University of Central Florida. And she's 18 years old. And I said, why do you want to become a missionary? And she goes, well, Daddy, she goes, if I'm going to be on this world or in this world, I want to be on this world and do something for people and take care of people. Definitely. And, I, and she said that to me, and I reflected and thought, now, being in emergency medicine as long as I have, and sometimes we all have some good days and some bad days, I went home and I said to my wife, I go, I wonder where she got that from. And she looked at me with this look like, well, hello, you from do you. take care of people. So I guess in my little way, I have portrayed this to my daughter. You did an imprint in her and, life. And yeah, so I think, I, and, I, and I came away with her statement thinking to myself, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. So, are you still worthy? Yes, I feel very worthy. And even to this day, when I look back on that day or that time when I was depressed, I don't know how that happened. I just know that I, I think my dream was so close to a grasp that I felt so overwhelmed that since I didn't get do well on all those tests right away, that I felt like maybe this was not my destiny. And it made me guess myself. But once I got home and could look at the whole picture and realize that I know where I really want to be. And what I, all I needed that psychiatrist once to listen to me say how bad I was and the next day to say, look, I am worthy of something. And he really did nothing except listen to me, but he was objective. He wasn't someone who loved me or cared for me or knew me. He was just being objective. So fantastic. I, yeah. Dr. Castellucci. We were meant to talk for 10 minutes, but your history is so <laughs> compelling and you're so passionate about talking. Well, a couple times you, I saw with some tears in your eyes when you were relieving those moments. And, and definitely what I can see is that, um, by the way, you have a, I haven't met your whole family, but you have a beautiful daughter and she's always following you around and definitely you have made a difference in her life. So, um, yeah. if we can all go home and just kind of, be at peace with ourselves having realized that we fulfill our dreams because I think uh, when we get old and we'll be there ready to die, the only thing left is going to be do you fulfill your dreams and I right. think you have. Right. Thank you for your time, sir. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So yeah, I know that people are going to enjoy this very much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank I you, sir. Fine.